Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Joe Dupriest. He is the managing partner and co-founder of Next Up Ventures and Next Up Partners. He also is the former CEO or CMO, I apologize, of the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals. Having this conversation with Joe was absolutely incredible. Getting to talk about the Winter Classic, getting to talk about John Wall, Ovechkin, obviously, what he did and how he did it and how he absolutely crushed it over there in Washington, D.C. for a couple of those teams. So it was super cool to hear about all the old stuff. Really interesting what he's doing with some of the new stuff. So very grateful I had the opportunity to chat with him. So without further ado, here is Joe Dupriest. Today, I'm for the love of sports. I have my new friend, Jody Priest, managing partner and co-founder of Next Up Ventures, co-founder of Yellow Devils Sports, former CMO of the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals, former executive with the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington Redskins. I guess that is it. Joe, how are you today? Doing great. How are you doing? It's a good day to be alive. It's a beautiful Monday morning. The Northeast is starting to warm up a little bit, so I'm a much much happier person so that's all we can ask for right yep absolutely yes it's a little warm down here in atlanta a little rainy but you know it's all is good down here yeah well when it was 46 degrees and snowing here last week i'm sure you would have preferred to be in atlanta i can almost guarantee that one so (laughs) absolutely let you look at that so joe first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much I mean, I grew up in Atlanta, so it was a rough time growing up in the 80s. You know, people talk about, you know, the Braves, how awesome it was, you know, the World Series. You know, it's like I was 15 years old before that happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, growing up a Braves fan, a Hawks fan, a Falcons fan, I mean, you, you, you start to love sports. You don't love winning quite as much because you don't know what it's like. But mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up around it. You know, it's you know great environment down here. You know, I was gone from Atlanta for about 20 years, just moved back. But yeah, he's always always been a huge fan. I never played a lot growing up. Um, my kids are getting into it now, softball and golf. You know, I tried a little bit of everything, but, you know, I was always just a fan of watching it. And then as I grew, you know, it became more about the business itself and you mm-hmm. know, how that's run. You know, when John Sherholtz was building the Braves, you know, really got interested in the, in the behind the scenes aspects of it. So, yeah, the, the, Braves, the Braves specifically are a really interesting team and, and kind of, you know, this might be an interesting topic to touch on, especially with your, your work in the TV space, but them and their Turner deal. You know, I talked to people from the middle of the country that are nowhere near Atlanta and they're like, yeah, I mean, they were kind of on TBS all the time. So I just watched the Braves and that pitching staff was incredible. And Chipper Jones and Andrew yep. Jones. How like is it weird when you're kind of just going around the country meeting Braves fans? I mean, it's one thing, you know, I'm up here in the Northeast. So Yankees fans, you'll find them everywhere. That is what it is. But do you find the same thing kind of with the Braves because of that TBS deal a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with, you know, the TBS deal is still going during the 91, 92 years and beyond. You know, my wife's from North Carolina, you know, but, you know, everybody there was a Braves fan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everywhere you go across the country. It's interesting now with the new generation, it wasn't like that, but everybody my age, I meet all over the country. You know, either they were a fan. I mean, nobody hates the Braves, it seems like. You know, from that, you know, people, you know, had a had an affinity for them a bit. And, you know, it, it's always fun to talk, you know, Dale Murphy and Bob Horner and, you know, Glavin and Smoltz and all mm-hmm. those. So it's, it's a connection you have with people almost all over the country. Yeah. And, and you know, again, it, it's just a, it's an interesting connection because now it's super easy. You get MLB TV and you can watch any team out of market and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. It's, or ESPN plus and you can watch all these games, you know, when they're actually on. But it's, um, it, you know, maybe maybe the Braves had something. Maybe they're a little ahead of the curve there. So I think it's pretty interesting um, how they've been able to do it. And obviously, again, the connection to what you've been able to do creating over the top networks, I think is pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I experienced a little bit from the other side too. I mean, you had WGN, all the Cubs games, yep. mm-hmm. you know, you know, Mets games too. So I was never a big fan of those, but I watched a lot of their games. I knew the players, you know, more so back in the eighties and early nineties. It was an easy way to follow other teams. So I kind of know what it's like being on the other end. Yeah, we had some Cubs games up here as well, WGN. Uh, so we were we were stacked Phillies, Mets, Cubs, Yankees. We go. I always had someone to root against. Um, so that was kind of nice being a Mets fan. Not never never really that good. There's a few years scattered here and there, so right. it was always very interesting. But we, you know, as you said, you never really played sports. You always loved them. Was it 
kind of a goal of yours to always work in sports or how, like how, how was your mindset, especially going into college, you know, down in Georgia tech and then, you know, eventually going to business school at, uh, you know, let's go Duke. What like was, was the opportunity presented to you or was it always the goal of yours to get into sports? No, it never really was, you know, growing up, I always knew I'd go to Georgia tech, you know, it was always, I was going to be an engineer. That's just what I was going to do. And so, you know, I went to tech, you know, started there in 95, um, you know, but as I got in there, you know, it, it was always on an affinity for the analytics side, you know, which later in my sports career played an interesting role in it. But, you know, it was, you know, always something kind of in the back of my mind, hey, sports could be interesting. So it actually, when I was a freshman at Georgia Tech, one of the things that we had to do was go and do a project with somebody in the field we're interested in. You know, most people would go find other engineers, whatever. I dropped an email to Dean Taylor, who was the assistant GM with the Braves back then. And so I just dropped a, dropped a letter to him. You know, it wasn't really email back then so much, but. You know, sure enough, he wrote me back. I met in his office at Fulton County Stadium and, you know, kind of got the behind the scenes look. And that's what really kind of got the itch for me there, too. Um, you know, I, I went into engineering, you know, coming out of tech. I still did that for a few years, you know, but always kind of with the idea of, yeah, I'd love to get back into sports. Even while I was in Memphis at FedEx, you know, I'd, you know, talk to, you know, the AAA team there and kind of, you know, poke around a little bit. But once I got to Duke, that was that was fully my goal was to get into sports. That's really interesting. And would you look at that, as you said, you know, you kind of just uh, dropped the line to somebody and it kind of turned into an entire other avenue. I mean, I guess, why, why did you go to engineering school? If like, like where, well, like you said, this was kind of, it doesn't sound like it was mandated, but I'm just kind of sure. curious, like why, why? <laughs> I mean, I always had an affinity for math, you know, the calculus, everything else. I mean, growing up, you know, science classes, I, you know, I was always good at it. And I enjoy that side of it. So it seemed natural. Well, that's what I enjoy. That's what I'll do with a full-time job. You're kind of turned out of, yeah, I enjoy doing it, but not necessarily 40, 50 hours a week sitting in front of spreadsheets and, and that sort of stuff. You know, I'd rather apply those skills to a business I cared more about. So that's sort of how I transitioned out of it. But, you know, growing up, yeah, you're, you're into math and science and Georgia Tech's down the road and Georgia started the Hope Scholarship with the lottery. So, of course, that's where I'm going to go. And so, you know, you know, glad I did. You know, that analytic background really set me up nicely for where sports went over the next decade. But, yeah, it was, you know, sports as a, as a career back when I was in middle school and early high school wasn't really in my head, even mm -hmm. though I was a big sports fan. And then, so how did you eventually get your first job? I mean, obviously having the, you know, a little, little stint there with the Braves for a second and helping them out. I mean, working with some of their higher ups is fantastic. And so how, how did you get that first job in sports? And, and I guess where on the timeline does that fall? Yeah. So technically my first job with sports was with the Braves. So mm -hmm. when, after that project, I got hooked up with their game day staff. And so I was flipping burgers, oh, running the hospitality go. tents. And yeah, back when, you know, back in 96, 97. So I was the last year of Fulton County Stadium, the first year of Turner Field, you know, that awful series with the Layritz Homer and, you know, thought we had back-to-back -back titles and didn't quite work out for us. But I was working game days, got exposed to it then when I was in college. But then when I went back to, to Duke, you know, that, that was my goal, as I mentioned, you know, really getting into sports. So I'd probably talk to anybody and everybody I could, you know, a couple hundred different phone calls over the course of a couple of, a couple of years. You know, I got lucky that, you know, the Durham Bulls were right down the street at Duke and they'd never had an NBA intern. And so, yeah, I was able to really create my own. You know, so I talked to, you know, John Bishop, the assistant GM there, which he's, you know, with the NBA now, you know, still a really good friend. You know, I, I met up with him and, you know, a couple guys there are like, well, you know, we've never done this before, but yeah, let's give it a shot. You know, come on out and, you know, market research and, you know, analytics behind their group sales and ticketing. That was my summer project. So it was sort of my first first real you know, foray into it. And you really got the minor league experience too. I was up, you know, 6 a.m. pulling tarps and, and all that good stuff you get in minor league balls. So that was my first, you know, really in the office experience with it. You know, that was back in 2003 at Duke. Mm -hmm. And then coming out of Duke, you know, through the course of those conversations, you know, it's kind of a right place, right time. You know, they, they say you kind of get lucky. And I did, but it was probably my 200th phone call. Um, Steve Ryan, who works with the, you know, the Cardinals now, you know, but he was with uh, the Eagles. You know, back then, you know, he was a, another Duke undergrad. And so he introduced me to this other guy, Tim McDermott, who had just started with the Eagles as director of marketing, HBS guy. You guys got the NBA thing going. You guys should chat. I did. I talked to Tim for an hour on the phone. Like, hey, you know, come on up to Philly, you know, spend the summer here, see where it goes. And packed up the car, went to Philly and you know, that was the, the Super Bowl year. They were Donovan mm -hmm. and Tia. So it's a fun time to be there. And so that led to, you know, a full-time gig with the Eagles. You know, I met a lot of people at the Redskins. That's how I spent the year there. 
and you know Tim, who really became my mentor. You know, we spent you know several years there together. He's the one that brought me down to the Caps as well when he became CMO down there. So it's just kind of interesting how it all played out off of one phone call at Duke, which was the 200th phone call over a couple of years, and that's the one that, that paid off. I was going to say it's it's the 200 fo- it's the 199 you made before it though, right? You until you get to that one, which I think is a really important part of the story for anybody just you know looking to get into the world of sports, especially now with kind of all the upheaval and everything going crazy in the, in the world like you really do have to put in a significant significant amount of work to really just find that one you know that yeah. one phone call that's going to come through and i think it's interesting and i guess you know as you said you, you you were very humble about it saying you know hey you guys both went to duke hey you guys are both in uh you know you, you have mbas like that that's a connection but clearly you were doing something to set yourself apart not just going to duke not just having an mba what was it that these gentlemen saw in you that they kept passing your name along, that they kept wanting to promote you and and push you up the chain of command to get you into the places like the Philadelphia Eagles, the Washington Redskins, and and, and the, the Capitals as well? Yeah, I think it was an interesting time in sports. You know, when, when you go back to business school back then, like I said, I started in 2002 at Duke. And, you know, the question was always, hey, is an MBA valued in sports? Um, and, and at the time, for the most part, the answer was no. I mean, it would, but it all depended on who was hiring you. Did the person hiring you have one? You know, and, and that was the time when it was really switching from a really heavy focus on people that had been in sports 20 years. That's how you get promoted. You know, you start in the ticket office, work your way up, and which is which is so awesome and happens a lot. But it was, you know, they were starting to look more of outside of sports and unique backgrounds and experiences to come in. And so I was kind of fortunate to ride that wave a, a little bit. And so it was really my analytic background is what tied it in. You know, that's where, you know, CRM was first becoming big. I mean, there are no analytics departments in sports teams. Then when I got to the Caps in 2007, we built the first one. You know, I hired the first guy who was another uh, Georgia Tech guy, Lehigh engineering, a similar engineering background, you know, that I actually met at a, at a panel up at NYU, you know, when I was, you know, sitting with four or five guys, this guy was in the audience and we became good friends and I hired him, you know, first analytic guy. Now I think Monumental has you know, 10, 12 full-time analytics, you know, almost every large sports organization has it, but back then you really didn't. So I was able to, to bring something unique to the table. And since they had no experience, they didn't really know if I was good at it or not, but mm-hmm. I could, talk the language and, you know, we figured it out and, you know, from a just simple fan surveying type stuff and the analytics behind it and regressions. And, you know, when I was in Duke as well, you know, did a project with the hurricanes, you know, really analyzing their, you know, ad spend, where ticket sales coming from, you know, and, you know, it was, you know, regression analysis you know, like that. Never, nobody was doing that at the time. So mm-hmm. really kind of pioneered something new. So the, that type of stuff is someone was able to kind of take the next spot and take the next spot, you know, and it really gave me a story to tell that resonated with people. And that's just crazy. Like, right. Like in 2007, there were still major sports teams that didn't have analytics departments. And now all you hear about in sports is analytics, analytics, analytics. I mean, baseball being a huge one, football year and coming around basketball, obviously the Sloan conference and everything that they've been doing. How have you seen, I mean, like, what is it like being a pioneer in something like that? And I know obviously you're on the, the, the marketing and as you said, the ticketing and the, and the fan engagement side, but I'm assuming there's some connection and correlation between the two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, and they weren't separate to start with, you know, and so I met that another guy. Yeah. Ken, yeah. Ken Catanella, he's out with the, with the Sacramento Kings. You know, I met up with him when he was looking at starting at Duke and, you know, he was pioneering it on the basketball side. He ended up going to Fuqua as well. And, you know, caught on with a bunch of teams and had been hugely successful. Um, but yeah, it was right then it was in, analytics of any kind were, were brand new. And so you can kind of, you know, you know, create your own roles, create your own projects, you know, carve your own way and then find other people to kind of bring along with you too. So, you know, like I said, it started with just a, a couple of people and then you got more specialized, breaking apart. How do you, you know, look at sponsorship valuation, you know, ticket sales, and then you start getting into, you know, dynamic ticketing and, and all of those type things. And, you know, some, you know, we got a lot of people who go outside to the third parties, but then, you know, everybody started building it on, you mm-hmm. know, on, you know, their in- internal teams. And so it just to kind of watch that and be a part of it was really interesting. Um, and so it, it hit the perfect timing for me. So, yeah, yeah, I'd say, yeah, that's just perfect that you went to Georgia Tech and you've done all this. It's just, I, I love kind of hearing stories like this and how, how these stars align, but obviously again, you had to make those 200 phone calls to get to where you got to. So clearly immense amount of hard work and determination is also very exactly. important. And, and with that, I mean, how, 
like, what is it like being able to see an industry shift in front of your eyes because of something that you've been able to do? Like, at what point did you realize, like, I personally and my team that I'm building, we are making an, a huge impact for these teams and these players and these leagues. Like, how how quickly did you start to see the needle move on the stuff that you guys were were implementing? I mean, it came across pretty quick because there's, you know, so many trends were coming along at the same time, both from, you know, go back to the money ball and that sort of stuff. But, you know, to really see, you know, some of these models and, you know, they start realizing, hey, we're not optimizing ticket prices. Well, what do we charge for sponsorship? You know, sponsors are looking at it as, well, what am I, what ROI am I getting? I don't know. You know, you just bought that sign, you know, and, you know, it looked pretty and we put it out there. But, you know, the need on the sponsorship side you know, what was a big driver of it too, to not be able to answer those questions and really justify from an impression standpoint, from a, you know, looking at it more like other, other media, you know, and, you know, the timing of the economy then, you know, dollars were tight, you know, and, you know, really changed, you know, the way sponsorship dollars were, you know, and so to be able to go into those pitches in a, in a different way and present different data and, and really look at it like every other business out there was doing, you know, was, you know, to see the reactions on, on some of this stuff and the, you know, really, you know, look at optimizing, you know, ticket sales and that sort of stuff and see you, your cost for tickets sold, that sort of stuff. If yeah. that started moving, I mean, that, that made you know, really, really big impacts immediately. You could, you could show, you know, what's happening. And then when, when other people started calling to see what we're doing, you know, that's, that's what you know, really mm-hmm. tips you off. You know, it started when I was, you know, working on CRM back with the Eagles and, you know, I was, you know, calling people all over the league that were you know just starting to take a look at, you know, the smart DMs and the Microsofts of the world and some of those that were really just starting to come on. And then we're suddenly on the other end, people are calling us to see what, what we're doing from a, from a, you know, ticketing sponsorship valuation, you know, turnkey, you know, it was really becoming big then too, from a, you know, you know, customer measurement standpoint and what they were doing, you know, and it, it, it was really interesting to you know, have those conversations and, and help guide it a bit. Yeah, I mean, I could only imagine, like, it, that must have been pretty, like, very validating as, you know, having other teams and other people reach out to you and be like, hey, you guys are doing some cool stuff over there. Um, yep. What, yeah, what exactly It's a great way to network. Yeah. yeah. It's a great way to network around the leagues, too. You really get to know a lot of your counterparts around the league. And, you know, it, it, it was really a, a good way to, to meet a lot of people. And through that is how I ended up with the Redskins, too. You know, I got to know them really well. And when they were looking for somebody on the marketing side to help with their premium sales and, and to really look at that from a different way, that's how I ended up landing there. Um, was just through those various conversations and, and they never stopped. And you hung out in the the Washington, D.C. area for a little while, as you said, with the Redskins, as I mentioned before, with the Capitals, with the, the uh, Wizards. What so? And obviously, it seems like you climbed the ranks relatively quickly because you were a huge, huge value add and getting, as you said, the ticket sales, the sponsorship and all these different opportunities, as long as we're affecting the bottom line, right? And you're affecting in a very good, positive way. People are going to want you on their team in some capacity. Like how, how quickly did, how quickly did it go from, hey, let's look at some of these analytics. Wow, this is really cool to being a just a major major driver to the point where you're then you know the opportunity to become cmo of a couple of these teams was not even i mean not even a question at that point because you were so damn good at what you did yeah i mean it was interesting timing too you know and you know having alex ovechkin and you know the the team were doing what Mm -hmm. they were but it it makes me look a lot smarter too you know i'm not gonna lie and so i said i started there in 2007 and when I first started there, you know, it was Backstrom's rookie year. They'd just gone back to the red, white, and blue. But I remember my first preseason game I was working. I mean, you could have thrown tickets on the sidewalk. People wouldn't have picked them up and come in. I mean, there was nobody there. You could see, you could tell they were building something, but it was still very early on. And so as the team started to take off, you could really feel something was was different with it. You know, in that time, now, now you're having conversations with sponsors that you weren't having before. Mm-hmm. You know, before when I got there, uh, you worked for the Washington Capitals. I would have to clarify it's the hockey team. You know, back in 07, 08, that was still, I mean, it, they were popular, but it wasn't a big, huge mm-hmm. brand. You know, people didn't have cup visions back then. I mean, people knew it was gonna, where it was kind of heading with, with Ovi and those guys. But, you know, those needs, now people are, you know, clamoring for tickets and, you know, sponsorship is starting to open up. And, you know, from a digital standpoint, the way people are interacting with the team is becoming a lot different. And so I was fortunate to kind of be able to ride that wave. Um, so that I started, so Tim McDermott was a CMO. So he, you know, brought me down from, from the Eagles with him. So he was CMO a few years later, he went back to the Eagles. And so with what we had done, so when he went back to the Eagles to become their CMO, it, that's when I was able to kind of step up into that role. 
And then, you know, from there, you know, monumental, you know, sort of, you know, got formed around the time he was leaving when, when he brought in the wizards and the mystics and Verizon center at the time. And so as that sort of came together, you know, it was something exciting was happening every year. The team was getting better. There was a new tech piece coming along, you know, and, you know, working for, you know, Ted Leonsis and, you know, that group. And I even got the pleasure of, you know, reporting directly to him. And I, you know, there's no better experience than that to really, to really see the, the inner workings there and kind of, you know, get, get that, get that attention. And so I was, I was really fortunate to kind of ride the wave of, you know, Teams getting better. The digital footprint is expanding. People in D.C. It's a transient city, but they're they're excited. You know, seeing what was happening with youth hockey at the time. You know, thirty rinks in the area. We were working with all of them to see the growth there and the excitement. And every kid wants to be number eight. You know, now you're going into schools with street hockey, and kids are getting excited about it. And so, it just all really kind of came together at at the right time. But, you know, it became a, a big aspect of how do, you, how do you measure what we're doing? How do we know we're going to the right place? How do we know now it's time to go to Baltimore? How do you know now it's time for a winter classic? You know, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, because, you know, but we, I think we rode a really nice wave there for a long time. And, you know, it, and it became almost the reverse that, you know, the team was winning, but they never made it out past the second round. But the excitement around the team, never, you know, it, it got bigger and bigger every year and every year. You know, fortunately, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully it's not a coincidence that right after I left, they won a cup. But, you know, it, you know, it, it was exciting. You know, it wasn't the cup winning, but there was hope and excitement and a great ownership group and a great staff, great team, great personality players. All of that came together at the right time. It, well, it felt like for like five years, it was the Caps year. It's the Caps year. It's the Caps yeah. year. Finally, it did happen. Maybe, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, Joe, so I do apologize. Maybe it did have <laughs> something to do with you. But no, I just think it's so cool that, you know, as you said, like it, a couple of stars definitely aligned. I mean, getting Backstrom, having Ovechkin, you know, just being, you know, one of the, and now it's very clear he's easily one of the greatest hockey players of all time. He's probably going to pass Wayne Gretzky in goals if he plays, what, two more seasons, I think, depending on what yeah. happens with this year. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens there. And taking advantage of that though you know as you you kind of posed all the questions and i'll kind of just ask you like how do you know when it's time to do a, a winter classic how do you know when it's time to you know do a rebrand or or at least put out that that dc style uniform like when like what do the numbers have to tell you when you see like what what are you looking for to say okay like this is i know there's no perfect time and it's very right. subjective of course but when you see those numbers, is it, okay, this is, you know, we have enough people, we think we could do an outdoor game, like, let's do a Winter Classic. Now, what goes into that decision making? And then what goes into executing that, especially from the marketing standpoint? Right. Yeah, I mean, we were measuring everything. I mean, we had, you know, our own internal group doing it. But we had, you know, whether it's, you know, diving into Scarborough, we partnered up with Turnkey on a lot of our, our research data. You know, we launched, you know, one of the first things we did was launch what we called Club Scarlet. It was the first uh, female fan club uh, in the NHL. And we um, we launched that, looked at the data a year later, tracking it, you know, and, and and it doesn't all tie to that, certainly. But the female fan base was growing faster than the male fan base over the next two years. Like, oh, we're, we're on to something here. You know, you're looking at youth youth participation in hockey, mm-hmm. looking at those numbers. I mean, that was a big driver of it looking at TV ratings, particularly up in, in the Baltimore area and how those were growing um, as a team. You know, one thing that was interesting, you know, the, the GM of what's now was first married in a world farms arena up in Baltimore, you know, we started talking to a promoter up there, you know, the caps minor league team used to play up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that idea where like, well, you know, the excitement is there in Baltimore. We're seeing the percent of fans from Baltimore coming in. We're seeing the TV numbers go in there. Maybe it makes sense to take a preseason game there. And, and so, you know, just that overall, you know, the excitement measurements that we're seeing and seeing where the ticket sales are coming through, where the heat maps are, and it starts moving around the D.C. area. And there's more coming from the Baltimore area now than there were before, whereas before it was, you know, maybe more northern Virginia, you know, maybe, you know, right out in, in Maryland, you know, on the west side. So, you know, it, you know, seeing those trends could kind of really tell. I mean, you never really know. I mean, you, 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 you tease it out there and some of the ideas and see if people start getting excited about stuff. And, and fortunately they did, you know, the Baltimore game was really cool to be able to do that, to create a new, a new product up there. And eventually we did it for the, for the wizards as well. You know, for the cats, we played Boston in the preseason game, sold out arena. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And so, you know, to, to be a part of some of that stuff, you know, it's, 
you know, somewhat you, you get lucky and you hope it works out. Um, and fortunately, all of these did, you know, with the Winter Classic, you know, it was, you know, working with the NHL, you know, fortunately, you look at you know, when you've got some of the best players in the world, you know, and you're getting the national exposure that some other teams are getting that that helps out as well, because there's a lot of tickets to be sold there. Um, you know, certainly, you know, going to Pittsburgh and playing that first one, you know, helped. It was a good learning experience for us and to be able to see that and then, you know, bring it to, to Nats Park and, and do our own. Um, you know, but we, we had a, you know, a focus group of, you know, women that we would, you know, tap into from the club Scarlet. We had an advisory panel that we would use, you know, thousands of fans that we would email out, you know, surveys, you know, measuring anything and everything. We had a season ticket advisory board, um, that one of our, you know, you know, heads of analytics, you know, ran for, for a couple of years. He really give us the insights, really throw different ideas against the wall and, and would see what happened. And we were always talking to fans. I mean, that was Part of it was the accessibility, which again comes back to to tech. You know, a lot of a lot of owners aren't that accessible to fans, so we really took that and you know took it you know the, the next level too of constantly communicating with fans and you know getting getting a pulse on you know what where's their interest, you know what's driving their interest, how much is it tied to winning, how much is it tied to what we're doing with kids in the community and that sort of stuff. And so you're to look into that, you know, and it can't be a once a year thing. It's got to be a you know, every month, every week, you know, getting into the head of the fan, you know, to, to know when it's time to move on something. And it, it makes sense. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting to hear when people, you know, when the fans start clamoring about something and you don't hear any movement on it from the team side or the league side. I mean, you hear it all the time with the NFL, they pretty much just do not care about what the fans right. think in my opinion. And I mean, they're still on top of the world. So maybe the joke's on us. Maybe we don't know, but it's just always very interesting to me. And I mean, in a sport like hockey, where, you know, let's be very honest, it's four out of the four major sports here in the United States. The 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 markets aren't nearly as big as they are for, you know, basketball or or the NFL, especially. What was it like then really just trying to give the fans that voice? And like how like it doesn't sound that difficult, especially again with some of these stars. And that's one thing the NHL, the MLB gets it gets um discredited for as well not really promoting the stars as much but you see alexander ovechkin everywhere so i have to give you kudos for that so congratulations you're doing something right but i mean what was that like and how easy was it to make those connections to okay this is what the fans want you know how can we execute upon that and and just give them what they're looking for yeah i mean you know some of it's the players themselves too you know some players aren't as into doing that type of stuff you know Ovi was awesome and would do anything in the community asking of backstrom the same way i mean a lot of really good personality guys again it comes down from from ted to the coaches to the gm you know i loved working with george mcphee you know he was you know you see what he did in vegas later on um but it, it was it was a phenomenal group to to be able to get out there if the players aren't into it then then it's really not going to work and it, it was a community connection to going to schools and you know really getting FaceTime with the kids and you know teaching them street hockey in their gyms you know that sort of stuff and you know we were really fortunate there i mean and part of it too comes down to a balance you know the nfl is interesting because for the most most teams don't have to sell tickets you know they're going to be i remember when i was at the eagles I mean, we had a wait list, but nobody ever comes off of it. Nobody ever gives up their tickets. And so you can really focus on other stuff and creating new properties and new ways to engage with the NHL and the NBA, you know, not league wide, but, you know, a Tuesday, you know, against a mediocre opponent when the team's not great, you know, you got to sell those tickets. And so at what point you you got to be careful about cannibalizing yourself and the other things that you're asking people to do. You can only ask people to do so much. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and what is that mentality of, all right, yeah, I'll go to a game with my friend. All right, now I'll buy my own ticket. Now I'll buy a mini plan. Maybe eventually I'll become a season ticket holder. Now I'm going to go to these other events, but you got to step them through that. And you can't, you know, if you start cannibalizing yourself and the ticket sales go down, which, you know, the NFL, again, they don't really have to worry about that as much. I mean, some teams, but for the most part, you know, they're they're creating the, those additional revenue streams. So we had to be careful as we started growing of when, when's the right time for this stuff. But our goal was always to have we, we see ourselves as a 365 day a year sport. You know, if you're if you're an NHL team and you're only focusing on those 80 games you're doing a disservice and, and it's never going to become, you know, part of people's daily lives. So our goal was, you know, thinking when the NFL has done it better than anybody else, you know, they're, they're a 12 month a year sport, you know, they're, and so, you know, the events they've created. So we, we focused on that too, you know, becoming top of mind every day was important to us and having something for somebody at every price point too. Everybody's not going to be a season ticket holder. Everybody's not going to be a suite holder. You know, we have to have free events. We have to have ways to connect with the kids. So at every price point, 
we have something for everybody and an opportunity for them to connect to it. We had free fan events. We had paid fan events. We had every type of ticket package that you could, you could imagine. And the more that we could connect to people, which, you know, as the economy starts going down too, you know, especially back then, you know, people start prioritizing what's important in their, in their own lives. And, you know, if, if you're just a ticket that you go and have fun with, eh, you're probably going to drop down that. But if, Hey, this is a part of my daily life, I'm going to miss out on this. Maybe I'm not buying as many tickets, mm-hmm. but now I'm going to go to this fan event, which then we're going to be able to sponsor it because we've got these 5,000 people coming out. Training camp is free. You can come out anytime and watch the guys practice. I mean, you can be five feet from Alex Ovechkin at, at the Iceplex, you know, watching practice every morning doesn't cost you a thing. And so, you know, having that connection point at every price point, you know, and, and the 12 month calendar, I think was, was important to us to really establish in the community. I love that. And I think it's very important, right? You know, like having all those different price points and having different opportunities, because again, you're in a a metro area, right? DC is a right. is a city, right? So you're going to have uh, people of all different backgrounds and all different socioeconomic levels that you want to engage all of them, right? As you said, you're already going into the schools, you're having a great, you're doing killer with the, the, the female um, fans of the brand and what's happening there. So I think, again, it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at it. But again, it just makes sense. And it's so frustrating, you know, being a Mets fan and seeing just all the dumb stuff that baseball does, and just kind of, constantly rolling my eyes at like yep baseball did it wrong again i mean look they're in the news for the worst possible thing none of these other other sports are arguing with each other right they're just right. kind of behind the scenes doing what they need to do to get everything done but that's that's baseball susan so with with that <laughs> i mean starting to then get into the nba aspect of it how different was it when starting to work with the the wizards and and now kind of being you know, almost straddling this fence and, and working in these two different areas. How how different did things get when now you're going to a, a you know, while Ovechkin helped the Capitals become a global brand, especially through Russia and everything that's going like in Europe, obviously they play hockey there, Canada. But what was it like then going to the NBA where this it's a truly, you know, they're in India, they're in, in China every year. What was it like going to this even bigger global brand with now stars like John Wall and Bradley Beal? Yeah, I mean, it's you're definitely under a microscope more because now you're looking, everything's on a national level. I mean, it was like I said, I got lucky a bit with Ovi and Backstrom. You know, when I jumped over to to the Wizards side, that's when Wall was really taken off and they drafted Beal. And, you know, similarly to when I was on the cap side, they relaunched the red, white, and blue, going back more of like a Bullets, you know, Bullets view to it. But, you know, it was a, a team that, you know, no, you know, no success since the seventies for the most part. And so that, that was tough because now you're fighting for that national attention. You know, you've got the, you know, the LeBrons and the Durants and all of those guys and trying to get, you know, John on that national stage, but you still got to focus locally. I mean, that's, that's what it all comes down to. You gotta, you gotta sell tickets. You gotta, you gotta build that base, but they're very different fan bases. You know, it's, you know, it's much different. You know, there, there is something of, you know, DC fans, are you know wizards and caps that those do exist but for the most part strategies that you're going after with ticket sales the sponsorship products the flow of the game is just so different the environment's so different and so you, you can't leverage them together as much as you would like to mm-hmm. i mean we are fortunate that, that ovi and john would do a lot of stuff together you know especially around the holidays and as much as we could get them together but for the most part it's two completely different strategies so that that was the challenge of it is making them both successful you know, unfortunately, back to the cannibalization issue, you didn't have that so much. People weren't really picking between a Caps game and a Wizards game. I mean, there, there are some of the, you know, long-term D.C. fans that, that might be, but it's such a transient city, too. You don't really have the life, the lifelong fanhood that you get in a, in a New York and a Philly. I mean, it exists, but not nearly to, to the extent. You've got a lot of people that came down, especially when, they, when the Caps were new. I mean, not new, but, you know, when they were sort of yeah. coming good, you know, you had people that they're a Flyers fan, they're a Caps fan unless they play the Flyers, they're a Caps fan unless they play the Rangers, because that's, and, and there's a lot of that, you know, all around both sides. You know, the, the Wizards were similar, you know, Lakers fans, Celtics fans, or there's a lot of those in the market that really gravitate to the Wizards, um, so trying to capitalize uh, them and, and, and really kind of trying to convert convert that over. But that, I mean, that's that was the biggest challenge between the two is, is running to end market campaigns and, and getting people excited about it when you when you couldn't you know entirely leverage them together mm-hmm. yeah because that's it's you know hockey and basketball it's always interesting because they're especially come playoff time 
uh, it's always like kind of opposite nights almost like, okay, who's yeah. playing tonight? Okay. It's hockey tonight. All right. Let's get in the mindset of hockey. And then the next night it's like, all right, this is basketball. It's, it's just completely different, especially that kind of two week period of the finals in a yeah. normal world, which I think we'd be coming up to. And, you know, only like about a month at this point, not even, um, yeah. it's just always very interesting. And I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Just kind of that opposite back and forth. Like, Hey, we got some incredible playoff game going every night, but especially as you were saying, like on a Tuesday, in February when the wizards aren't that great and they're playing, you know, I'll say it like the Memphis Grizzlies, no offense to the Grizzlies. Now they have John wall, but you know, that just of like, how, how did you go about just trying to get, as you said, you don't want to cannibalize yourself. You can't really utilize the two teams together. How difficult was it for you? You kind of alluded to it before, but learning an entire new set of strategies or, or learning to do things completely different after everything you were doing at the capitals was an absolute success in everyone else's book. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, there's a not a lot of difference between the tactics that you use. Mm-hmm. It's more, that's where the analytics really come into play. Who are you going after in what media with what message? But, you know, at the end of the day, marketing is marketing. And so we were able to leverage a lot of learnings and how we analyze things really together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it was interesting when I jumped over the wizard side, they were in a similar position with the caps. So when I first started the caps, it was, all right, we got to sell it. Rangers are coming on a Friday. We got to sell that game out. You know, we got to kill it. And then eventually it was, oh, that game's going to sell out. All right, Tuesday against Florida. Let's focus on that one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Wizards became similar of, you know, let's make sure we sell out the weekend games. If we can sell out half the season, that's going to be awesome. Lakers on a Saturday. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, Memphis on a Tuesday. And eh, we don't focus as much. Well, you know, but then when that became the only games you weren't selling out, you could switch to that. And really focus more on that. So knowing when, you know, when to spend those dollars and, and where to go after it. And, you know, we took a lot of learnings from the Caps in-game entertainment. You know, we got a lot of praise for that, you know, you know, transitioning some of that over to the Wizards. And, you know, because the in-game piece of it, you know, across the NBA is huge. And so, you know, really making it a part of the show, you know, and how we how we focused on that and using the court as a stage. That was nice that, you know, with with hockey, you can't really do that with, with the NBA. You know, you've got your own stage right there to do whatever you want to with it. Every every break, every halftime, pregame, whatever. So it really opens up, you know, the entertainment aspect of it, too. And, and you know, can give people an added value, even if the team's not doing as good. You're at least going to come out and have fun. And that was always our goal. Hopefully the team wins. But if nothing else, you're going to see exciting stars. You're going to get entertained and. Hopefully that, that'll keep bringing you back. But, you know, learning that side of it from the Caps, the entertainment piece, you know, leveraging some of that. And the NBA is really supportive, too. I mean, from learning from what other teams are doing and what's working. Um, you know, I mentioned, you know, John Bishop, you know, back when I was at the Bulls, you know, and he was my mentor there. Now he's in the NBA. So engaging with, with, with you know, the whole league office and, and learning and guiding and ideas from them and the data that they would share. I think they're, they're far ahead of the curves. That, that helps out a lot, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very important, just kind of what it's like with minor league baseball um, when you're referring to the Bulls, the Durham Bulls, if I'm not mistaken, because I don't remember the Chicago Bulls anywhere. (laughs) Now that we're all thinking about the last dance, though, and how incredible that was, man, how easy would it have been if Michael Jordan was on your team? Right. You didn't have to do anything at that point. That would have been killer. But that looked really smart then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, hey, Alexander Rovechkin is pretty darn good in his own right. So I think that's great. And uh, you, uh, you know, with with Monumental, when you're over at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, one thing I think is really cool, you have a couple of the Emmys in the background, so anyone watching the YouTube or the live stream right now, uh, they, they might be able to see them. I can see them because I know where they are, but there's a couple of them back there. You eventually won five, so I do want to talk about that. You know, one thing that with your career in marketing and the analytics, it continued to get better over time. And not only did it, the, the analytics continue to get better, the places you got them got better and the new platforms, you know, all these social media platforms and really needing to go hard into them and really understanding what they're all about. At Monumental, you were also able to institute an over-the-top platform, an OTT uh, streaming platform that allowed people to watch and understand. So let's talk about the marketing aspect first, especially over your entire career. What was it like, you know, you kind of came in and you started this marketing analytic craze, it sounds like. What was it like learning more about these new platforms that are coming about, like social media, like OTT, that allowed you to get your message out there in a more specific way? Again, two people that you liked and you still got you got even more analytics from it because it was all online. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think I mentioned back when I was with the Carolina Hurricanes when I did my project at Duke back in 0304 and we analyzed where all the marketing spend was and what's driving the return. Social media was nowhere on that, you know, in that table. 
And so just kind of see the evolution of us, oh, something that fans use to engage with each other and oh yeah it's out there we're not really thinking thinking much of it to where it then transitions to well i'm used to you know going out trying to push my message out to people radio tv whatever it is but now we've got to transition to, to where are the fans are oh, they're on facebook now now instagram's becoming big you know players are getting engaged on there and the data that you can get from that you know especially off of facebook is is phenomenal and so, and, and that's something that then the sponsors really start clamoring for too, you know, cause I don't, I don't have to go and find an audience. The audience is there. I just have to create relevant content for them, being able to, you know, ensure it stays authentic as you integrate sponsors into it, you know, players, hopefully they're, they're engaging with you as well. But it was really interesting to see, again, we talked about, you know, there was no analytics teams before. There were also no social media teams before, you know, it was something that, Hey, maybe your PR guys would kind of run and then your, your web guys and, you know, they'll kind of do it on the side, but then you don't know which platforms are going to become big, you know, and, you know, are you getting into Facebook or are you getting in Tumblr, you know, all now Instagram, all oh, there's this new Twitter thing. I remember our web guy at the cat sort of talked about Twitter and, you know, how we needed to be on an aggressive, we have no idea what, you know, nobody's going to want to do that. You know, 140 characters, nobody mm-hmm. cares. And so to kind of then see the evolution of it and how you, how you tie into it and how you, you know, weave your, weave your messaging into it. And especially then when everybody gets on board, that's when the authenticity really, really kicks in, you know, because people are just going to start ignoring you over time. So it wasn't just what platform are you on and how do you engage and how that engagement changes but then, you know, the analytics piece of it was really nice to really know, hey, who's following us? Who's following our brands? What's the overlap? How are we reaching them? A lot of third-party tools started popping up that we could really tie into there and take a look at. And so, yeah, it went from, you know, our web guys kind of doing social media part of the time to now we got a full-time, now we got somebody else, now we've got three people just running our social platforms. And, and so that, that group was, was really interesting to then, you know, OTT, you know, when that started coming about, you know, and it, you know, we started talking about, you know, people cutting the cord, you know, and, you know, people run, you know, not watching cable as much, you know, and then, you know, the Roku started popping up and some of the apps. And so immediately what, what kind of came to mind was, you know, you know, the Emmys behind me, we won those, our caps TV show, a couple of them initially, you know, prior to the OTT, you know, and so we, we were creating great weekly team content. Um, but you know, then it evolved to, well, we're outsourcing our video production. Well, now we've got the Wizards and the Mystics, so it makes sense to bring it in-house. And so we bring it in-house. But it's like, are we really monetizing this? Are we really creating the content? We've got better access to owners, coaches, players, fans, and anybody else out there. Now I've got the means to produce video. Let's start doing it. You know, I mean, let's, let's take advantage of, of this, you know, at all these assets that nobody else has. You know, if you want to do something with Ovi, well, he's right downstairs. PR guy can go, talk him into it, and we can just start churning out content. And so we would really, you know, really start, you know, you know, pumping out. You know, we hired a 30-person, you know, production department, and we built, you know, through a couple of partners, we you know, built out, you know, an OTT platform, a web platform, started churning out content, and because that's where people were going, you know, similar to the Facebooks and the Instagrams, mm-hmm. that's where people were. Now they're not going to cable as much anymore, especially you know the millennials that were trying to you know get on board and become Cats fans. If they don't have cable, you know, they're tied to the games. Well, now I'm going to have a platform to give you that content, and so that was, that was a big piece of, of our strategy there. And you know, it was it was really interesting. I didn't know a lot about the video production world. Some people might still say I don't, but, you know, to, to really build out a full production capability to really go and build platforms that nobody else was doing. Um, you know, Snag Films was, you know, a, a company that Ted had invested in and, you know, they, you know, really had the, the technology behind it and became the ViewLift platform. So then we were able to have them build out our, our apps and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, that was that was a really, really cool piece of it. And, you know, having having those partnerships to help us out was, was great. But, you know, it was yeah, same thing. OTT, when we first had the conversations, we didn't really know much about it, but it seemed yep, seemed to make sense. And it was something that, you know, fortunately, you know, Ted is going to be really supportive of you know, going out and creating new properties and our sponsorship guys always want more assets to sell and fans always want more content, you know, back to our 12 month strategy. It's a new way to engage them every day with new content. And if I'm going to, you know, create it, but out on my own platform, I don't need to rely on somebody else's platform. And so that was sort of the genesis of it. 
And I think, you know, first off, jokes jokes on those people that say you don't know much about production because you're the guy with the five <laughs> Emmys, right? So, uh, you know, jokes on them. But with, with each of these, you know, social media now, now it's kind of you can't think of a world without it almost, right? But when it was first coming about, you're right. Like, who the hell wanted to be on Twitter? It's 140 characters. You can't say much. Why are we here? And it's always funny kind of seeing those really really old tweets of like what steph curry was talking about it's like hey i'm going to get some chinese food it's like awesome thanks for that man we really appreciate it and now what we're in now which is essentially like kind of 3.0 of uh, of what twitter's become how long do you do you how much time effort energy and money do you put into something before you kind of can say okay this is working like this is the right thing to do in terms of building out a production team and creating an ott platform to allow our, our fans to engage closer with alexander ovechkin like how how does that process work and i guess at what point do you say yes this was a success or no let's keep putting money in it until it becomes a success like how does that right. process work yeah i mean social media was you know certainly a lot easier because yeah. it didn't, outside of the the hours into it, it didn't really cost you anything i mean getting on facebook getting on instagram i mean as you start building out new you know you know apps and that sort of stuff certainly it would but you know that was easy you know production it's a little bit different you know and you know it's both you know when does it make sense to spend that money and how much you're going to end up spending um so we initially we outsourced to a company called base productions who produced a lot of awesome stuff for us for a lot for a lot of years and so we had we knew what we were already spending with those guys so if i could come in at a cheaper rate and produce more content it made sense and we knew that you know we're going to need to produce in-game content we knew you're always going to have to have an opening video you're going to have to have player profiles that you're dropping into all the intermissions. You're, ne- you're going to need to interview players after the game and, and put it on your site. You know, and, and so we there's that stuff that we would always going to have to have, you know, whether or not, you know, the additional shoulder programming people are going to be interested in or as we start going out to high school, you know, you know stream some basketball games, you know, profile stuff, you know, getting out of the community, those aspects. You really didn't know, but you know, if you start with that baseline of this is what we know we're going to have to produce, and we're going to get some top level talent in that's going to do that, you know, and then you can always kind of scale up, scale down beyond that based on on what's resonated with people and what sponsorship dollars that are coming in for it. Um, we we started with that baseline, which which we knew we had to have, and then you know the staffing model you know becomes interesting. And so we're yeah, I, I contracted out with with a couple of different, you know, super senior, you know, been in the business 20, 30 years, you know, producers that, that helped us really structure it, you know, bring in the right talent. You know, you need the one man band going out and, you know, producing a piece and editing it themselves, putting it on the site to we need to be able to produce Mystics games and stream them live on our platform. You know, and, and so all of those different aspects to it, I learned a lot about just how it's how it's all structured and how to really build it out. But then, you know, how much you put into your facilities, you know, when do you need a studio? How nice of a studio do you develop? And some of that just kind of comes over time. You know, you can do it not on the cheap, but mm-hmm. you know, you could you can do it to, you know, make sure that the content's resonating with people and resonating with sponsors. And then you can start investing a little more. Um, but it, it was it's not too bad to kind of ramp up, ramp down um, once once you know people are people are are into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I think that part's very important. And again, I'm sure you had all the numbers and all the analytics and all the data on it and how well it was doing and how you could take advantage of it and how, as you were talking about with sponsors, uh, it's just, you know, it's just another way to engage fans, which means it's another way for for sponsors and partners to, you know, find a way to engage fans, which then allows you guys to make more money, which, right, like you're, you're making money in multiple different facets on that end, which I think is really important. So with that, I'm kind of curious. It sounds like you were having a lot of fun. You're doing a lot of really cool things. What made you leave the 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 team game, I guess, you know, getting, you know, spending so much time with the Eagles, the Redskins, the Capitals, the Wizards, the Mystics at what point, And I guess for what reason did you think, you know what, that was a lot of fun. I kind of want to kind of want to go do something else now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great ride with Monumental. I mean, left a lot of great relationships and couldn't get any any better experiences. And, you know, but it was, you know, at the end, you know, we're doing, you know, Mystics, Wizards, Caps, we were launching AFL. And, you know, you know, as I as I was kind of looking at new opportunities, you know, it kind of became, well, i is this really where I want to be? You know, is this, you know, the hours as you start having a family? You know, I was fortunate we live around Capitol Hill, so I only live two miles from the Verizon Center. Um, so it, you know, commute home and to work for me with the family it was as good as it could have possibly been. But you know, you start looking at, hey, what else is out there, you know, before I commit to staying on the team side. And geography for me was important, too. You know, we wanted to get back south. That's how we, we landed back in Atlanta. 
where we are now. We've been back here for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, a buddy of mine was, had latched onto this you know, loyalty platform out of Chicago. Really cool opportunity. You know, we kind of built our own teams. It's like, yeah, let's try something. Let's try something different. You know, it's, you know, the, the, the tech side of it and, you know, the loyalty and, you know, the data, you know, around, you know, what we were doing there was, was really cool. And I want to be a part of it and try something different. You, know, you can always go do something different for a while. And, you know, if, if that didn't work out, you can always go back. And so that was sort of the philosophy. And I had opportunities to do stuff with with sports as well. So the, the platform called Shop Your Way. Um, so I worked there about two, two and a half years out of Chicago, commuting up there. Um, but we also had, there's a, an arena, uh, about a 10,000 seat arena. So I got to sit on the other side of the table there and negotiate the, the naming rights deal on behalf of um, Sears and Shop Your Way. And so I got to be a part of that. You know, I did a, a really cool, when, when the hurricanes hit um, Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, um, Javi Baez, Rene Rivera partnered up with those guys, um, donated a bunch of shirts, products. We donated 25,000 toys to kids to give them a Christmas that year. We had Rene, you know, was and his wife and, and a lot of our staff was going around Puerto Rico with Santa and a big sled delivering all those toys. And, you know, so, so I really had, I still had the engagement with the, the player side, with the sponsorship side, you know, separate from marketing the loyalty platform. Um, so, so I got to kind of satisfy that itch a bit, but then, you know, that I, as my contract there was starting to end, you know, started to think, Hey, really miss the sports side. You know, it's you know, the marketing, marketing is marketing wherever you go, but a product that you really care about and you really want to engage it's, you know, what I care about, but also a product that people care so much about. It is so impactful for them. And so, you know, wanting to get back on that side, you know, towards the end of last year is what kind of, kind of, you know, got me, got me going again. Well, fan is short for fanatic, right? Uh, it makes We're all crazy when it comes to our sports teams. And I think, again, you're right. Marketing is marketing, but you know there's going to be a, a ravenous base, right? There's always yes. those loyal fans that are just absolutely crazy. Um, that you know, they're gonna they're gonna show up they're gonna show out whether your team is terrible or good you know I'm a, I'm a Giants fan through and through and after every loss I put my Giants sweatshirt on the next day and I let people know that <laughs> hey I'm taking this one on the chin give me whatever you got at this point so it is what it is and so um tell us a little bit so now you're with Next Up Ventures you're a co-founder there correct so yep. like what what exactly are you guys doing and why did you find what have you been doing as you said since towards the end of last year that made sense to start, you know, working with some of these tech in, in this tech space a little bit more and really start helping out some of these startups. Yeah. So something I kind of thought about and, you know, my co-founders and advisors, we've kind of talked for a while about, you know, at some point going out and doing our own thing and, you know, as sports startups really become more prevalent, you know, having a lot of conversations with, you know, new CEOs, people trying to get their businesses up and running, just from a networking standpoint, I mean, back to what I was doing at Duke, no different now, you know, just talking to anybody and everybody, you know, as I get to Atlanta and, and really meet people that are doing some some cool stuff, you know, it's always like, yeah, I can, you know, I'm passionate about, you know, what they're doing and what they're building and, you know, being a part of something different than, I mean, I love the team side, I love the player side. But the new business side of it was was really interesting to me and really talking to these passionate entrepreneurs and, and what they were doing. Um, but then something, you know, had to kind of push us over the edge to, to, to do it. And so, you know, as my contract was ending with Shop Your Way, you know, we're going to decide not to renew that. You know, that was, you know, we had a, an opportunity with a company called Starstock, um, starstock.com. Um, Scott Greenberg, really, really awesome to see him, you know, CEO there, um, the guys at FanDuel are supporting it. It's essentially a marketplace for sports cards. Um, so, you know, kind of creates it like the stock market. Um, they actually just launched about a week ago the platform, like the, the early version of it. But, you know, we had an opportunity through those guys to, to make an investment. And so really excited about what they were doing, really excited talking to Scott. So that's what kind of forced this, say, let's create this next up ventures. We want to invest. We invested our own money into it. And so that's sort of where it started was, was this first investment that, that we were passionate about it and what they were doing, which then led to additional conversations with other entrepreneurs. And so that was sort of the, the venture side of it, you know, helping helping raise money, you know, helping at least make introductions for, for people to raise money, putting some of our own money into it. But then, you know, there's a, there's a gap also with, with the startups of a lot of them are really heavy on, on the tech side, really strong CEOs. A lot of time, I mean, that's what you're investing in for the most part is the CEOs of, of these companies. Um, but, you know, from a, a marketing operations, product management, some of those, you know, kind of the ideas started popping up. Well, well maybe there's, there's more of an opportunity here. 
Um, we don't want to just be, you know, writing checks, you know, we want to, you know, get in, roll our sleeves up. And so that's where this Next Up Partners um, idea came from. So that's a sister company to, to Ventures, where what we're really doing is going out and we're not just working with startups, you know, for the partner side, it's a lot of times, you know, more advanced, not super early, you know, because they're getting into like the Series A or even some more established companies, brands that are trying to get into the sports space. You know, really trying to to focus on on where they where they have needs. You know, some of the, sometimes operational. Sometimes it could be you know helping them find capital or at least helping them with their pitch decks. A lot of times, you know, helping with sales decks. You know, a lot of times it's you know helping them get PR. How what's their social strategy? You know, how they get their website up and running. What branding do you need? And so and so filling those holes. You know, what we've done is build up a, a team of, you know, managing directors and consultants, you know, some that have their own side businesses as well. Um, but really the power of this group, well, right now we've got about 10, you know, we'll finally within the next couple of weeks, we'll have a, you know, a team of about 15, you know, senior level execs from all over sports, um, from apparel to tech to, you know, we've got, you know, some really, you know, top-notch creative, you know, best in the business there. We've got, you know, a, a guy coming on that's got a strong data data background. Um, you know, we got a, a guy that's helping us with, with PR. So whatever a company would need, you know, we're, we're now a, a full-service agency that goes beyond the retainer deal to a roll-your-sleeves-up, fractional exec opportunities that we want to get in and, and really help these, help these startups grow. So, you know, the, I think the team that we build is really exciting. You know, we're going to get, you know, it'll become more public over the next week or two, exactly who's who's on it. You know, I'm going to, I need to get the LinkedIn page built out a little more, um, but we, we're going to get that built out and people will be able to see who the team is. But yeah, really excited about the team that we built and what we're able to bring to the table to, to help out a lot of these, you know, early to, to mid-sized startups and even some other brands. I mean, we've got guys who have worked for the biggest brands, the biggest agencies in the world, bringing that experience to it. So we're really excited about it. And, you know, I think leaving the shop your way kind of, you know, that that was a good forcing mechanism, the opportunity to invest. And then, you know, certainly the coronavirus too, you know, it was, you know, now it's an opportunity. There's, you know, if I wanted to find a full-time job somewhere, it's not the best time to go looking. So it's really a good forcing mechanism too, to, you know, not do something that I don't really want to do, do something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, that, that's, you know, that's really what, what we've created here. And, you know, I think over the last couple of weeks it's come together really fast. And, you know, we are talking to, you know, a new sports startup league. You know, there's a lot of you know cool stuff that we're doing with those guys. There's a gamified social app, you know, there's another company, you know, Jason Fox, um, former NFL player, you know, started a company called earbuds, earbudsmusic.com. You know, they're doing some, Really cool. You talk about social meets players, meets music, meets a new way to engage. You know, he's doing some really awesome stuff. And so we've developed a good relationship there. Um, you know, so, so just learning and talking to all of these different companies has been has been phenomenal. And so, you know, really excited about what else what else is out there in the relationships that we're going to keep building. I think it's so cool what you guys are able to build. And again, it goes back to, you know, as you said, you know, at Duke, it's it's all about relationships. How many phone calls did you have to take this time? It probably wasn't as many to get so many of these guys on your team, but it's just the fact that you've done so much. You've shown your capabilities, your value that you could bring to others. And now you're bringing together this team of 15 incredible, it sounds like 15, just absolutely incredible executives from all over the sports world that, as you said, you know, fractional execs, you know, we can help with the the, the networking, getting you in the right places potentially fund some of these these businesses. So I think just from that perspective and and with as much networking as I do within the the sports industry which clearly I have a while till I get anywhere close to where you are Joe but just learning so much about these just cool different businesses that are going around and all they just need is that little extra push occasionally. Just give them that extra push and then they can really show their stuff to the world and let the world decide if they that they're they're capable and then people want to utilize them but I just think it's so darn cool what you guys have been able to put together and some of the things that you're going to be doing in the future that very, very grateful that I got to have you on today. So thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah. I love talking about it. And, you know, like I said, we'll have the website up and running soon. I got the LinkedIn page. Anybody wants to look me up on LinkedIn, you know, or, you know, Joe at nextupventures.net. We got we got a lot of exciting stuff we're, we're rolling out soon. We're, we want to talk to anybody and everybody. I mean, we're not gonna, you know, even you know, some of the ones I've mentioned. We're, you know, maybe we engage, maybe we don't, maybe we invest, maybe we help. But 
you know, you never know what connections we can help make with somebody else. And you never know what might arise down the road, you know, getting getting ourselves out there. And, you know, maybe we meet a startup and maybe it's not us, but we, you know, pair the right the right relationships up there. And, you know, we, we want to help out and just get excited. You know, the more, you know, entrepreneurs I talk to, the more excited we get about, about what's out there and, and where we can help or where we can find people to help. And just being a part of that community to us is really exciting. So, I love it. I love it, man. I'll make sure all the links. Um, yeah, hopefully. I'll make sure all the links are up in in the show notes, and you got everything there. So if anyone does want to um, get at you, I'll make sure to get that email from you as well, so that everything's there. I'll put the LinkedIn page in there, so that way when people do check that out, when it is updated today, maybe tomorrow, whenever that is, uh, that everything will be up, and you'll be able to rock and roll yeah. there. But Joe, this has been absolutely incredible. Joe Dupriest, managing partner, co-founder of Next Up Ventures, Next Up partners joe sincerely sincerely appreciate your time today man yeah i appreciate it it's been great hopefully we'll do a follow-up later on thank you all so much for listening to this episode with joe as i said just such a cool cool guy knows what he's doing has been doing it for a while won some emmys guy's not messing around so make sure to go follow him on all of his socials everything's in the show notes please make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening apple itunes spotify Check us out on YouTube. You can watch these conversations face-to-face, which is great. We even live stream some of them, so you can get them a little bit before everybody else. But without further ado, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.